that takes a lot of work. Yep. But somebody is doing it. So it can't be that hard. Completely. Yep. So, yeah, it, you might need to learn something. You might need to work your butt off. But anyone can get there. Hi there, and welcome to the Tech Veteran Podcast. This podcast takes you through the lives, transitions, and careers of veterans who are having success in fields of technology. My name is Oliver Pulaski, and along with my co-host Mello Sullivan, we will take you through some of these incredible people's journeys. Hey, and welcome back to the Tech Veteran Podcast. This week, we're talking to Josh Mason. Josh is former Air Force and is now teaching cybersecurity. If you're in a cyber, this is a must listen. So, Josh Mason, uh, welcome to our Tech Veteran Podcast. Um, of course, I stalked you on LinkedIn. Of course. You have something in your history on philosophy and humanities how did you get from that to where you are and what you're doing now as a cyber instructor and courseware developer at jacobs tell us your story <laughs> yeah so um in high school found out i could go to the u.s air force academy and as long as i graduated and did well enough i could go to pilot training and school would be free and they trained me how to be a pilot and I could fly planes. And so in high school, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And I followed that through a lot of the way. Um, went to the academy, uh, started with aeronautical engineering as my uh, degree path. And then halfway into a semester with like four engineering classes, I realized I hated group projects and I heard it was gonna be a lot of group projects. and. <clears throat> 14 years ago, I was like, well, I don't like these group projects. What else could I do? And someone reminded me, hey, you just have to graduate and do well, and you can go to pilot training. I was like, well, then let's do something fun. My degree doesn't really matter. Let's just go for it and renaissance man this thing. And so I became a humanities major and studied a lot more philosophy than most of my classmates. Yeah. Um, studied a lot more history than most of my classmates, uh, including my wife, who is an astronautical engineering major. Wow. And her satellite is actually in space. Um, but she's in space right now. No, her satellite that she spent her senior year of college building is in space. Wow. Wow. She has at least seven. Um, but truth be told, we both went to pilot training and we both flew the same plane. So there's many different routes of getting there. Um, flew planes for a while and then started to have a family. And I know a lot of our uh, pilots who are in with you with me <laughs> understand that you can't really be a pilot and not go places. Kind of the purpose of planes is to go for far distances. And so you spend a lot of nights away, a lot of weeks away, and I just didn't want to do that anymore with kids. So I switched over to cyber while I was still in the airport. And from there? So then the, yeah, for four years ago, five, yeah. The Air Force trained me in cyber warfare, went through everything. 
um, basics of governance, risk management, and compliance, all the way through some a little bit of Python, Perl, C, C++, uh, networking, subnetting, um, into offensive and defensive, all in about six months. Wow. Wow. Then jump from there, I was a senior captain, not an official rank, but I was a captain in the Air Force, and um, they were looking for a spot that would launch me into being a major. And so they sent me to Air Force Special Operations Command headquarters to work at the A6, which is the uh, cyber slash um, communications division. Um, they wanted to meet, get some squadron experience first. So I went to the Special Operations Communications Squadron, was a flight commander there uh, running about 300 comm troops all supporting Special Operations Command out of Panhandle, Florida. And then um, it ended up that job was a lot more enterprise IT. Um, it reminded me daily of the movie um, Office Space. And so I talked with the commander, was like, is there, I've heard of these chances of going and teaching at the academy. I'd like to pursue that, go back and get a degree or get my master's in philosophy, go and teach as a instructor back at the academy. I had some great instructors and that would be fun. He's like, well, let's get your feet wet a little bit first. We need a cyber warfare officer over at the special operations school. It, it was literally right next door to this communication squadron and they had a billet for a cyber warfare officer. And the lieutenant who was there was about to put on captain and um, move up to DC to do some cool stuff. And so I was like, yeah, let's go try that out. Let's go teach. And I loved it. And it was awesome. Did that for two years. And then the Air Force said, hey, you don't have enough experience in cyber. We're not going to make you a major. And they did that twice. And you only get two chances in the US military to try to make officer ring and then they say you don't have to go home but you can't stay here until last year i got out of the air force um fortunately i knew cyber and i knew how to teach um i connected with a naval academy grad on linkedin who was running some programs for jacobs and qw up in maryland i just started a little conversation, didn't ask for a job, didn't ask for anything. He asked a little bit about my background and um, two days later, I got a recommendation from a recruiter at Jacobs um, saying, hey, you've been re recommended for this job as an instructor. We'd like to set up an interview. Um, a couple phone interviews later, one that I did not know was going to be an interview I thought it was just going to be a conversation, and it it was. Um, led to, okay, you're hired. Can you be here in two weeks? So drove all, moved out of our house uh, two days after Christmas last year, moved up to Maryland, and started teaching at the Defense Cyber Crime Center Cyber Training Academy, which is an organization under Air Force 
Office of Special Investigation. I know a lot of people are familiar with the TV show NCIS. Hmm. It's about the U.S. Navy's Criminal Investigative Service. Yeah. In the Air Force, we have the Office of Special Investigation, OSI. They do the same thing, just they work for the Air Force, so the Navy. They actually own the Defense Cyber Crime Center's cyber training, or the Defense Cyber Crime Center itself. If NCIS or OSI or Army's uh, counterintelligence or criminal investigators come across something where they need um, a hard drive looked at or a cell phone looked at or emails um, looked at for a case, they get sent to the Defense Cyber Crime Center. The Cyber Training Academy has the role of training both the forensics analysts who work for either those organizations or the Defense Cyber Crime Center, and also the agents who are going to be investigating anything touching cyber. So we teach a couple different forensics classes. One is just an introductory to networks. Um, this week I'm teaching introduction to networking and computer hardware which is a, I think of it as a whole, full semester's worth of a computer science class in one week. Um, we talked about motherboards yesterday and then we talked about RAID levels today. Um, it was, it's a lot, TCPIP uh, model and everything. So that these agents can go out and if they come across a computer okay, what do I need to do to uh, preserve this evidence? What should we be looking for? Is there something that I can do as an agent with these tools to investigate this stuff on my own without having to send it out to a lab? Can I set up FTK, pull an image, pull the RAM, um, or pull the uh, image off the RAM and then the image off the hard drive to see what was going on with this computer before it gets shut down. Can we pull emails and text messages off of a phone? What can we do to further our investigation with this digital evidence? And so that's where digital forensics comes in. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, just to, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned that you were a teacher. Um, could you put your teaching hat on real quick and just give us um, apart from what you just said, then a quick run through of what else is involved in digital uh, digital forensics and why might a veteran want to get into it? Yes, gladly. So digital forensics is it's really just looking at the, the files and the footprints left in a computer or um, any sort of electronic device and finding the remnants of what was going on. It doesn't have to be a hacking incident. It doesn't have to be forensics related to what we traditionally think of as like cyber. Just like people leave fingerprints on surfaces, you leave remnants all over the digital landscape. And so digital forensics is looking at devices to find anything that you can really be it 
text messages, emails, uh, files downloaded, um, files created, or to dive even deeper, um, some of the really impressive stuff is if there was a, a hack, if there was something cyber related, okay, let's rebuild that whole scenario. So someone got an email from a phishing campaign. They clicked on a link and we have the packet captures. So that link sent them to a website and they downloaded a file. That file we have, it's preserved on the hard drive in the image that we took. We can break that open in IDA or Ghidra and try to reverse engineer what that file, what that executable might've been doing. Well, it looks like that triggered another download. And then that started running things on the hard drive and these services started running and these processes started running. And now there's another user account that was created after this incident began. So maybe it downloaded a rootkit that built its own user account, set up services for, uh, um, I want to say perseverance, uh, persistent and a backdoor for command and control. So we can see all of that in either the packets that were captured off the network or the uh, internet history, the downloads, the files um, that were saved either in memory or on the hard drive. And it's building all of that, taking that evidence and trying to find what was going on from it all. That's really what I see as like the heart of digital forensics. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. I'm, I'm... So, so I, I realized I didn't answer the second half of your question. Why does that work well for military? Why does that work well for veterans? And we're used to structure. You guys probably get this as much as I do. You live off of a uh, regimented um, kind of just checklist and procedures to follow. So much of digital forensics is making sure that you follow the right steps to both capture and preserve the evidence, as well as process it in the proper way so that you don't accidentally, so that you don't download the malware to your own machine um, and then reinfect the whole uh, agency or police department. Um, doing all these things properly, following the pr correct procedures and then also having that uh, kind of that be curious mindset of there's something else here. I need to find the answer to that. That's unsolved, that's left open-ended, that I know um, I see a lot of military people falling towards. You want to find the answer and like solve that puzzle. And it works so well. You follow the procedures and then you add in a little bit of creativity to find find answers. I find that really interesting, Josh. You know, earlier you, you dropped this little comment about the Renaissance man. And, you know, the Renaissance man, he was the master of many trades. He was, he was incurably curious, um, technically capable. You know, he, he was this balanced man who knew quite a bit about just about everything. Um, mm -hmm. And what I'm picking up from your conversation is that 
that quality of curiosity in digital forensics um, and that quality of imagination and that kind of wargaming, if you will, um, sort of leads to the sort of next point is that, is that the kind of person that, that is a really good operator in digital forensics, um, you know, what kind of attributes can make somebody really successful in that field? Yeah, it's that be curious um, and, but also pay attention to the details kind of person. Um, that, that's one of those things, you know exactly how many inches your name tag needs to be from like the hem of your shirt. Um, because we learned that and you pay attention to it. And every time you put your uniform back together, you know exactly where it's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. And you, and then after time, you start noticing these things in other people when something's off, when they're not paying attention. Attention to detail is a phrase that I'm pretty sure anyone who's ever been in the military in any country is familiar with hearing and probably loathing at some point. Uh, <laughs> the training <laughs> the <laughs> that's right yeah level cool. um but but then you learn it then you learn that attention to detail and so then now you're you take that over to the world of digital forensics and you know what you have to you have to know what you're looking at if you know what a normal windows computer looks like you know what a normal linux server looks like then you start looking for okay what's weird What's running that doesn't normally run? What files are here that aren't normally here? So that ability to sort of notice that wonky name tag. Exactly. Is, it's the same kind of feel, for want of a better word. You know, if it feels wrong, it probably is. Yes. Oh, let me, I'll uh, swing in with my next question now. Josh, um, I love the the plug of the be curious value, by the way. Um, tell me when you were when you were going from the sort of more being a pilot into going into cyber, why did you want to go on a cyber? What attracted you to doing that? So there's in the Air Force, there's only so many roles that are really offensive in my mind, like in the action and I was only presented with so many options myself. A lot of them were going to be back-end um, logistics type things, uh, and I didn't want to be a staff officer my whole time. I, I had heard from friends that it, the Air Force was working on some neat stuff with cyber, being actively offensive and doing some of this uh, digital forensics themselves, uh, turning it into threat hunting, um, where you're not collecting digital forensics off of like an affected system. Now you're actively going out and you're trying to find these malicious programs, um, these downloads, these emails in an active uh, network. So you don't know that there is something there, but you start going and looking and trying to find out if there already is. Um, so it's another front line to be on. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I figured if I wasn't going to be landing in dirt runways in uh, Afghanistan, might as well do something else kind of cool. And more importantly, a front line that you can be on that still allows you to watch your children grow and be with your family. Yeah, 
I mean, I went uh, four years in the Air Force without deploying after that point, and um, that seemed unheard of. I, my last deployment before my first kid was born um, in the C-130, one of the guys I flew with out there, he has only been to one of his kids' birthdays. Our kids were born at the same time. Uh, they're both five, and he's only been to one birthday, and it wasn't the first one either. No. So, yeah. Uh, he, they just deploy a lot. You're gone a lot. And yeah. that's the job. Mm. So it's hard. Yeah, um, of course. I miss flying, but I really enjoy being with my kids. Yeah, of course. I guess, um, you know, just on a little bit of a lighter note, you know, you mentioned NCIS before and it happens to be one of my favorite TV shows, you know. <laughs> um, so I've got to ask the question, you know, I have to ask, you know, do you get to wear those really cool sunglasses and do all that sort of stuff or is it mostly office-based stuff? Um, so my understanding is a lot of the agents, yeah, are out there actually doing stuff. Um, yeah, of course. I had an agent who had to leave class early. Um, her office was here in DC and they had to go on a bus. And she's like, I, I'm having a hard time with this material, but I have to go right now. Um, I might have to drop the class, but I really, I'm going to be back tomorrow. Probably not going to get any sleep tonight, but I've looked a lot of evidence. So I'm curious how, how we're going to be processing it. Uh, so I want to be, I want to learn that. And it was a Tuesday of a one week class. She came in Wednesday. She had neat stories. Uh, she blew the test out of the water and I'm sure she is um, doing amazing things. But NCIS agent out here who, um, <laughs> Yeah, took off early from class because they, they got their warrant and they were they had to go do stuff. Had to go. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's sounds like pretty interesting stuff. I, I love the thought of seeing you sitting down at a desk with the cool shades on, just hacking. <laughs> sounds cool. Um, so say say I was hypothetically a person who wanted to get into or wanted to be employed doing digital forensics in a cyber practice like uh, or somewhere like Jacobs. And I'd done the training, but I had no exposure to the field already. How would I go about building portfolio and making myself more attractive to a possible employer? So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of good ways to get into this. Um, you need to understand what what file systems normally look like. What are the differences between um, SSH traffic and like mail traffic in packets? Um, how to use uh, Wireshark? How to use NCase? Um, there's a company called Autopsy who um, creates some digital forensic software, and they have free training for veterans. I don't think it's just the U.S. either. Um, Free training for veterans. Uh, we do. <laughs> if you need a basics of IT and cyber, um, with you with me is a good place to start off and grab that. You grab that. You go to Autopsy. You take their course. You learn how to use their software, and then you set off for some capture the flags. Um, COVID sucks, but uh, sorry, I don't know if I can say that. COVID is. Uh, has ruined a lot of things. Um, but a lot but of you can say that. Are... A lot of people are saying that. 
a lot of people have uh, died and their lives have changed uh, because of this virus. The one benefit is that all of these cyber cons, all the conferences that normally happen um, throughout the year that people can't make because it's not in your town or costs money or you can't go and like take the weekend off or a week off to be at this conference, they're all digital now. And a lot of them have capture the flags and the capture the flags are free and the conferences are free. And you can attend and learn things from the people who make autopsy, from the people who lead the laboratories. Uh, they are keynote speakers at these things. And the capture the flags, almost everyone I've ever seen has a reversing and some digital forensics or uh, cryptography <coughs> set thing. Um, where you can put all those things into practice. They give you a PCAP, which is a packet capture file. It's the packets that are going across the network, they get captured by software and you can throw them into a few different programs and see, you can rebuild the website that was downloaded. That came across as these data packets and these programs can pull that data apart and then rebuild the website for you. So you can see, okay, anything that was downloaded comes across as data. Anything that was sent across a web browser comes across as data. And so they'll give you a PCAP and tell you, hey, what IP address was this? What were they doing? Um, find the flag in this or that or the other. And you can go and put all your stuff into practice. And I can't tell you that that's gonna get you a job at a lab, however, um, talking to some labs who have, I don't know, I put things out on LinkedIn, people see me. Um, mm -hmm. I've gotten a couple calls asking if I'd want to go and work at these at different lab. And they like seeing that I've practiced these things, not just to teach in class, but for capture the flags. Mm -hmm. Having that on my resume actually keeps <coughs> their interest a little bit. So if you don't have any experience, like that's one of the things. I've only been doing cyber officially for about five years now, but I'm an instructor and I'm getting hit for things like that. But I've never worked in a lab doing digital forensics. So it's all about learning the stuff and then making yourself um, present, making yourself visible, if that makes sense. So if someone wants to get into it, you learn the stuff and then you really have to dig to find ways of showing it off. Conferences and captures of flags are, I think, the key getting your foot in the door. That's excellent. That's excellent advice. Thanks, Josh. Um, I guess, uh, you know, your interview process into your current role was kind of like the over the rainbow dream process, you know, to have an interview that you don't even know you're having. Um, everybody dreams about that. Excuse me. Um, are you able to sort of give our listeners any tips about, say, perhaps pre preparing for an interview if they do get to the point where somebody's going to talk to them about job? Yeah, so digital forensics or really any... Um, anything cyber related I've seen. I've done a few different interviews and a couple of them haven't got anywhere. And they were some high level things as well. Um, you need to approach it with some confidence. You you know things. 
you made it to the interview. So they trust your resume. They trust what you say that you know. Um, you, you do need to prepare and back that up. If you say, I know this programming language, I know Linux. If you get in there and they're like, okay, well, what's the difference between like bin and user bin? And, um, and you can't explain it, but you say that you're familiar with Linux, they're gonna be confused a little bit and they might dig and it might not, it might bust your confidence and also like put a weird feel on the interview. So research the role. Make sure that you understand what it is they're looking for. If you have the things that they're looking for, just buff off on them a little bit. If they're saying, hey, I we want someone to know this, that, and the other, this programming language or this operating system, then spend a couple nights before the interview, get comfortable with it, and do a mock interview. Uh, there are plenty of practice interview questions out on the web. Um, grab one, hand it to your significant other, your pal, your roommate, whoever. Hand it to them. Be like you're a hiring manager and you want to call my BS on something. Pick something off this list and grill me about it. They'll be like, I don't know what this is. It's like, well, the hiring manager might not either. But they also, I've seen this, they get a list and they look at it and they go, this seems interesting. I'm curious what the answer is. And they ask you. <laughs> and it might be one of the things that other people in the interview look at them and are like, why are you asking that? However, your ability to think on your feet and answer those sorts of questions um, goes a long way. If you just shut up and get flustered and can't answer, it, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't seem like someone who can troubleshoot, who can try new things. Um, and really most organizations want someone who, especially in cyber, someone who can go, hmm, that's interesting. Let me think about it and try to come up with something. I know this, so that kind of relates. I, I think I'm not, you could be like, I'm not familiar with that precise thing. But what I do know is this, that, and the other, and kind of bring it back to what you do know and give them a little bit of confidence in who you are and what you know. Does that, does that help? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it kind of largely kind of answers my next question. Uh, what I was going to mention is what, what uh, I guess, tricks can a veteran use to convince someone how they value add and you've you've more or less answered that is that 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 quality of what's that about or how can I make this work or how can I think on my feet to get to a solution or that quality of sort of what happens now or, or what's next or or what happened then would you yeah validity to that do you think no that's huge um so <coughs> In uh, 11 years in the Air Force, after the Academy, I've been in, I want to say, 12 different organizations at nine different bases, and you're net even, and then add in a couple deployments and long-term trips that weren't quite deployments, and you're, you're doing a lot of, okay, I'm new here. I know things, but I'm new here. 
what do you guys do in this organization? How can I use what I know? How can I use what I've been trained in to then do my job here? If you walk in to your interview knowing that you don't know everything, you don't know how they're running things because you haven't been there yet, convince this person, I know how to think on my feet. I know how to become part of an organization and add value because that's what I've done. That's what everyone that's in the military strives to do. And you show up, you try your hardest, you figure out what's going on. Someone is going to give you a push here or there if you need it. And then you become good at something. And then they move you to something new that you have no idea about. And you do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And so you just have to convince them like, yes, I haven't sat at the same company for 20 years. If I was there, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be doing this interview. What I can do is I can show up to your organization ready to learn, ready to try my hardest and to succeed. In the military, I wanted to get downrange, keep people safe and get the job done. Now, we're not, we're not talking national security anymore. However, that's the pace that I'm used to. If the company isn't that serious, well, that's great because I'm going to be giving way more effort into this than you might be expecting because that's what, that's what veterans do. Yeah, it is. It is what veterans do. It's excellent advice um, and, and great insight. Um, it's just so interesting what you're talking about. It's very interesting to me anyway. Um, you know, that enthusiasm, you know, that show up, that here I am, I'm giving it everything um, just can be so valuable. And yeah. I think it's why veterans can move just into just about any space they want to. The difficulty is always convincing the other person on the other side of the table that that's what you're bringing, I think. So uh, it, it's deflating and you'd never want to say this in the interview, but no matter where you're going, what they're doing isn't that hard. Other people are doing <laughs> yeah. I, I see a lot of different things. It can all be learned. Absolutely. You can your, there, there's places. There's places where like um, innovations are occurring. And that takes a lot of work. Yep. But somebody is doing so it can't be that hard. Completely. Yeah, so, yeah it, you might need to learn something. You might need to work your butt off. But anyone can get there. Um, just repeat that for a bit of reinforcement. So. <laughs> anyone can get there? Yeah, anyone can get there. Yeah. It might take a little yeah. bit of work, but anyone yeah. can get there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, anyone can get there. Words Fire yourself. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So Josh, this, this question, I feel like, well, let's sink our teeth. These next two questions we ask every uh, person that's on this show. And this is of course the <laughs> tech veteran podcast. So we now want to ask a bit about the tech. Mel and I are pretty big tech nerds. And what, what, what do you think is the most exciting thing happening in your field right now? What's the newest development? What's the thing that gets you up and going? Yes. Um, so uh, 
AI and data. So AI gets over hyped. I think there's a great book um, put out on AI by actually a, a, another Air Force Academy grad, um, long before me, but another grad. And it digs deep into what what is AI? What does it really look like? It's not it's not necessarily Jarvis from Iron Man, um, but what can we train? It, it could be. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg's got a video of his Jarvis, and it's pretty neat. Um, go check it out on the YouTube. And <laughs> I still found all the throwing the. Right. Um, not above the old shout outs. Uh, it's not always about that. It's about okay. There's all this data that's being created and collected on a regular basis, all over the place, for sometimes no reason whatsoever. Now. All we have to do is try to figure out how to turn that into something useful. Um, there is big data. Uh, it is a very crazy field. Um, it's very, there's a lot of money in big, big data, especially near where I'm at. Mm. A lot of companies and uh, a lot of organizations in the government want to take all of these data points that they have and make sense out of them. So, data into insight. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Take, for example, the largest network in the world, and the thing that actually has driven Microsoft to increase, like, their uh, how active or how Active Directory works, and how the domain and trees and forests works, and how many users you're allowed to have, is has been the United States military. Uh, 20 years ago, maybe your officers and a few of your NCOs had computers and then they just, you know, I don't know, handed letters or yelled at people to tell them what they needed. Now everyone um, has a computer at work. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got an email account. Even 15 years ago, not everyone had an email account. My little brother joined the military and as a private in the army, he didn't get an email account. He didn't need one. Um, he woke up, they told him what to do, and he did it. <laughs> he didn't need email to, to answer that. Uh, but now it is just the thing. So you've got all these users. You've got all these data points. You've got hundreds of thousands of them that are yeah. creating uh, emails and files on a regular basis, and they're all part of the Dota. Add in there all the civilians and all the contractors who are connected, and it's just tons of data. Can we sift through all of these emails? Can we sift through all of these accounts, um, uh, network yeah. history, yeah. and make something of it? Is there a way to channel and uh, make more efficiencies in our telecommunications? Um, can we streamline? Everyone is trying to hit this URL. Is there a way of forwarding that information maybe before it's even requested because we've analyzed the history so well that now we can create these amazing forecasts and predictions of what needs to be done. At this time of day, we need to up bandwidth and then we can drop bandwidth. Um, and that's just, that's the tip of the iceberg. Mm. Just imagine all the cars that are driving, all the vehicles that are out there. Now take all their data points and make that even more useful. Um, 
and it's it's not that hard. People are doing it. You can do it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little yeah. bit mind-boggling, you know. The flat fact is, is that humans get to the point where there's just too much information for us to process, and to actually yeah. get it to uh, to a point where it's, uh, for want of a better word, dumbed down far enough for us to actually use it. Um, we're going to need the AI and we're going to need the machines to be doing that. Um, so I'll admit to being a science fiction nerd. So, you know, extrapolating all of that big data, um, you know, what fascinates me is about, about the whole field at the moment is that for everything that someone is calling a new development, um, you can often refer back to a science fiction book that may have been written 15 or 20 years ago, um, you know, along the lines of if we can conceive of it, we can build it. And these days we're building it, um, which uh, I, I find just fascinating. Uh, and, our, and our little old Renaissance man, um, you know, if you can imagine Newton and da Vinci in an environment like this, and you know, even Stephen Hawking, um, what would they be doing in this situation, and what would they be thinking? Um, mm -hmm. Heaven help us! But anyway, yeah. we go off track. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. So What's really interesting started... is all the people that we've had on so far have said something about AI and data as being really yeah. exciting. That's what yeah, I find that's interesting. Right. Yeah, and, where the um, money is. I learned Python because of learning and getting interested in data science. And now mm -hmm. I use Python to create buffer overflow attacks for exploitation. Um, as I, I teach that in one of my classes uh, for threat emulation. Um, and I wouldn't know, I wouldn't have been interested enough in Python to just learn it from the ground up doing boring stuff. I learned it because of uh, a website called Kaggle, K-A-G-G-L-E. Yep. yep. Data science. They've got tons and tons of data sets. And you can try to solve the problems that the, that the guys who make the data sets provide. And yeah. they might pay you if they really like your solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, um, it's really, really good. Yeah. So I guess our last question, Josh, um, it's been really fun to talk to you. Um, if you can say anything to a veteran right now living anywhere, what advice would you give them if they're transitioning or if they've already transitioned and they're stuck in a dead-end job? Take the leap. Figure out what it is that you really want to do. Um, a lot of us joined the military knowing it wasn't going to be our whole life. At least in the United States, you get like a good 20 years max. And then, and then they ask you to go home usually, or they give you an, a star and call you a general. Um, so that leaves you still as like a junior in the world of anything else in the world. And we have these huge thing if you do 10 years in the military and you start feeling really old and you're in your 30 and everyone's <laughs> right. you don't even you haven't even seen what old looks like and yeah. um people start looking at okay well i i can't take an entry-level job i was running i was in charge of 500 troops i mean we sent 
millions of dollars of equipment and manpower over to uh, this place and did all these things. And now I'm, I don't know, I can't take an entry-level job. It's like, well, could you for like six months? Could you take an entry-level job in the industry that you want to get in? So you can go, okay, I showed up, I learned this stuff. It's not that hard. I can mix what I do now. I know how to do, I know how to accomplish things. I know how to work with people. I know how to run people. I know how to run an organization or be part of a giant organization and get things done. I can learn your little technical stuff. It's not that hard. Um, and I've shown that I can, I'll take this job. I'll learn the specificities of it and run with things. Um, so figure out what industry it is you want to get into and then go for it. Take a dive, take a leap, and do it. Um, I had a, a mentor um, a few months ago who was scared. He was scared. He wanted to get into cybersecurity. He had done cyber. He he just retired from the Air Force. He did 20 years. He retired in August. And for the last 10 years, he's been a weatherman for the Air Force, which is huge. It's helpful. But he's like, I am tired of looking at maps and trying to predict the weather and give it to people. I don't want to do that anymore. Like I did it because the Air Force told me to, and I stayed doing it because I wanted a job and it was good money. And I enjoyed being part of the organization and being part of the mission. And now that I'm not part of the mission, like I don't want to do weather anymore. So I'm thinking of getting into cyber, which I did 10 years ago when I was a junior enlisted, but it's changed. And I was like, it hasn't changed that much. There's still computers. <laughs> They're still connected to one another. TCPIP hasn't changed in a long time. Like you can learn this and you might feel old because you did 22 years. You did 20 years. Shoot, you did 10 years. And that still puts you like senior to so many people in the organization, but it still makes you like a kid <laughs> in this big old world. Mm -hmm. And if you can learn something, uh, study a little bit, take the resources that um, organizations like with you with me or your veterans affairs or um, universities uh, that are trying to give you training, give you these resources, grab those, grab, there's, there's so much free stuff. If it's knowledge that you need to do the job, there's ways of grabbing that. Uh, just go to your library and ask what, um, what training resources they have. They might have a subscription to O'Reilly that you can log in with your um, library card. And now you've got a, a, a digital library of almost any training book that's ever been made. You wanna learn SysP? Well, there's eight different books that will take you through all of the domains with uh, practice tests and flashcards that are all free if you can get there. Um, for veterans in the US, that's available. For, uh, I think it is um, in UK and New Zealand um, from a few people I, I've talked to. A bunch of just public libraries also have similar resources or they have uh, LinkedIn Learning, which is yep. one of the same thing. If your library is LinkedIn yeah. Learning, yep. go learn some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Learn the stuff, jump in, dive in, Take an entry-level job. Um, I had, uh, so that mentor who'd done weather, 
he applied for an entry-level help desk job at the bait and he started doing it but he was also taking some classes he worked on a certification he got his security plus um three weeks ago next week he starts as a uh cybersecurity analyst so he stepped in pardon me he stepped in he took the long view yeah half a step back to make three steps forward yeah yeah um, I think, he, um, he was a senior NCO with 20 years in the military. Like yeah. he was at what he thought was probably his peak pay. He took four of two months, a little bit of a pay cut. Yep. And truth be told, one of those months, he was still technically in the Air Force. He just was on leave. Yeah. He hadn't taken enough vacation, so he was taking them now and working, mm-hmm. studying, and it worked. And he's gonna he's he's good. He's he's very good right now. In COVID. Yeah. Um, it can be done. There are jobs. People still need things done. I think that's a good place to stop, Josh. Um, I, uh, I mean, you, you've said... No, 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 no. Look, thank you very much. And uh, you've certainly set my brain firing in 500 different directions. Um, and that great, great example about the fellow who, you know, just backed himself and... and stepped in, gave it a go, is 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 a wonderful story. Um, you know, thanks for being one of our tech veterans and um, thanks very much for giving us your time today. Uh, we're so grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for being on. It's been a pleasure. I've got a list here of things that I need to go back and research now. Um, and you've also inspired me to go back. I want to go finish off learning python so that is, there's that as well thank you for uh thank you for being on yeah hit me up if you want to learn some more cool stuff with that absolutely we'll send you a message later I'm an instructor, so i love teaching <laughs> <laughs> thanks josh yeah mel ready Cheers, guys.